Welcome to CMMS Radio, a podcast and general resource for all things CMMS, computerized maintenance management software, from selection to implementation to help you make better choices and have a successful CMMS journey. We'll bring in experts along the way to help us learn more about CMMS, facilities operations, and much more. If you need help with the CMMS project, send a message at cmmsradio.com using the What's On Your Mind link. Suggest a topic, share your CMMS story, or ask questions. This episode is sponsored by Upkeep, purpose-built for maintenance, reliability, and operations teams. Our mobile-first CMMS and asset operations management solution puts work orders, inventory, and asset info in the palm of your hand. Designed for ease of use and adoption, Upkeep aligns your team for peak business performance. Transform your operations. Transform your success with the multi-platform solution of Upkeep. Visit upkeep.com slash cmmsradio to receive a dedicated custom discovery session. Test, but there's a lot of folks out there that I've talked to and worked with that have a lot of knowledge and just get intimidated by the test, you know, from stories they've heard and stuff. And it's, you know, it, to me, it's a, it's a credential and it means that you, you know, you were able to pass the test, but you know, is I've taken a lot of tests in my life that I haven't done as well on as I thought I should have. So, you know, the test doesn't mean a whole lot. As right. Right. But you practical application. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we see that all the time, right? So you could, you could um, say, for example, read the books, go through the coursework and prep and go and actually pass that test. And then when you get out into the real world, now you, you, you may or may not have the appropriate experience with applying that knowledge, right? It's like right. anything else. Um, plenty of people are triple smart, but you get them in the right situation and they just get locked up and, well. I think what we have to do is maybe realize that and yeah. be a little open to those experiences. So well, that's one of my things. I've worked with a lot of uh, very highly degreed engineers and I go, there's a difference between, you know, being a, a good theoretical engineer. And then the people I want to work with are the people that have the theory behind them, but are, can do the practical application of the engineering. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, a, a and 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 real quick as we're getting going, I had a buddy. Um, he's into music and all that kind of stuff, and I was talking to him on the phone once, and I said, "You know, I've always struggled learning guitar, and I've tried many, many times." And I said, "Is that something you could help me with?" He said, "Well, I could teach you theory, but." you got a lot of work you got to do in order for me to actually teach you how to play guitar. And I said, and it just reminds me of what you were just saying. So, um, everyone, thank you for tuning in to CMMS radio today. We are joined by Hank Kosovar. He is a CMRP. He's the owner and principal consultant of guardian technical services, LLC. And that's a company that provides comprehensive and customized solutions for asset heavy industries. Now, Hank has over 35 years of experience and we're going to talk about CMMS, the maintenance mindset and whatever else comes up. I think a lot of people know how I like to run these uh, episodes, but Hank, welcome to CMMS radio. Thank you, Greg. Pleasure to be here and appreciate what you're doing for the industry. I, and, and I too appreciate you being here. You and I met originally at the Reliable Plant Conference 
back in August. That was in Orlando. Um, it was great to meet you. We had a lot of great conversation, but it took us a while to get you on CMMS Radio. So thank you so much for making the time. And what I'd like to start out with, pretty typical. Everybody's accustomed to it, I suppose. Can you give us a little bit on your background and experience, like kind of how you got to where you are today, but what led you into this amazing industry of maintenance and reliability? Uh, kind of, kind of a, it's, it's a long road. And actually I've been turning wrenches for probably 50 years. Uh, started out with my dad summers. Uh, he worked for a company that did uh, equipment recycling. Okay. They uh, took brewery equipment from a lot of small town breweries were closing back in the sixties, early seventies, took that equipment, recycled it, repurposed it. And uh, so that's kind of where I started. And then shop classes, you know, shop classes in high school, things that are, Come starting to make a little bit of a comeback now. So, you know, did print shop, power shop, wood shop, all those things were offered, did those. Uh, joined the Coast Guard right out of high school. Uh, the Coast Guard has this uh, rating called a machinery technician. That's kind of where I went. And I started out at the at the lower levels, like tell people I started out cleaning bilges. And 20, or 27 years later, I was in charge of maintenance for you know, 20 ships on the over 20 ships on the East Coast. So doing their maintenance budgeting and, and uh, some of their corrective maintenance, urgent casualty repairs, things like that. So coordinating all that activity with a whole group of people that were, you know, someone a lot smarter than me, but I just organized everything. So that's kind of where it was. And that rating is we basically, you know, we worked on everything, air conditioning, boilers, diesel engines, pumps, the whole shooting match. And that's really where I got introduced to maintenance and maintenance management was in the Coast Guard. And, uh, you know, we follow a lot of DOD practices. We follow a lot of Navy stuff, but that's kind of where I cut my teeth and learned about maintenance and maintenance management. What I'm, what I'm finding, especially of late, a lot of the people that come on CMMS radio and some of the people that don't that I talk to, with any kind of a military background or basis, it's a really, really strong foundation for this industry as a whole. And I think it has to do with a lot about the systemization, learning how to apply standards, standardization, but there's a lot around culture and it, it really lends well to the maintenance and reliability space. So I'm wondering, cause Ultimately, we're going to talk about CMMS and the fact that it's a tool and it really comes down to the people. And I'm really interested in that. So I'd love to get your viewpoint on how maintenance mindset applies to achieving the outcomes, like how that rolls up into culture. And I know that's a big, big topic, but could you talk a little bit about that? It, it's all, you know, I don't care what branch of military and it's all you're mission oriented. It's all about getting the mission done. And especially in the Navy and the Coast Guard is we operate what we maintain. So not only are we the maintainers, but we're the operators. You're going out to sea for, you know, three months, six months, whatever, or even a short mission on, you know, I did some search and rescue boats and stuff. The platform has to be ready to do its mission at a moment's notice. And then for you to be successful in your mission, the platform has to perform. So that's kind of the mindset and, you know, everybody's mission focused is we, we have to complete it. 
Now, the other thing is, is we have standard procedures and practices in place. You know, so the process is the same. And one of the stories I like to tell is, you know, you think back to Hurricane Katrina and the big response that the Coast Guard did then is they brought in different airframes from all across the country and different crews from all across the country. And they were interoperable because they maintained the platforms the same way. They operated the platforms the same way and they had standard procedures. So you could mix and match, you know, if one crew member, you know, was hit their limit and on flight time or whatever, you could bring in another crew member and operate the platform in the same way, doing the same processes and procedures. So that's really where a lot of it is. And even in some of the uh, design stuff is we have technical manuals. And I know, I think you had some other people on there, Corey, that were talking about tech manuals and processes and procedures. You know, tech library, you look behind me on my, and you see my tech library back there. That's only part of it, but it all goes back to having that documentation to go back and rely on. And, you know, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I know where to go look for the references. And that's one of the things that some of the guys that work with me said, you know, is don't ask any question you don't know, because he'll research the heck out of it to go figure out what the answer is. <laughs> and, uh, so that's kind of where it comes from, too, is using those references uh, at Reliable Plan. I did a uh, talk on maintenance procedures and what should be contained in a good maintenance procedure. You know, and everything starts out in the military. Everything starts out with safety. You're looking at it's and you follow the they're laid out the same way no matter where you go. Hmm. It's what's what are we locking out, tagging out? What tools do I need? What special equipment do I need? Torque specifications are called out in the procedure. So all of those things are very detailed and laid out. And you get used to that that process and following the process. I'm curious. I'm curious about. So with that, I, I got a lot of friends, military, military backgrounds, so appreciative. But I, I, I look at this when it comes to the standardization, the process, and, you know, people go through all all this whole process of being broken down, rebuilt, learn all these different systems and all this stuff. I've always been curious about where's the variability within that. So, you know, the step one, two, three, four, five, and the different protocols, but do you also have to apply some kind of creativity and be able to kind of Absolutely. move a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, every situation is fluid, you know, but the reason you train and the reason you have those standard procedures is that when that situation changes, you drop back to your training. You back drop back to what you've been taught and you adapt, okay? You know, one of our mottos, and it's from a Clint Eastwood movie, and I forget the name of it, but you know, uh, uh, where they were going out and invading Grenada, but it's improvise, adapt, and overcome. Right. Okay. And it, but it, it all falls back to those training and processes that were drilled into you and those systems that you're used to is you adapted to the environment and the situation you find you in because the situations are all fluid. If I'm going out on a search and rescue mission, you know, it could be flat calm one day with very little sea state or whatever. Somebody broke down the next time it could be, you know, 15 foot seas and we're going out and we're rocking and rolling and holding on for dear life, you know, to go out and help somebody. But we have to get there in order to be able to help somebody. So again, you fall back on that training that you have. Uh, so other folks I've worked with in other military organizations, it's the same thing. And, you know, 
you, you assess the situation, you know, you look at where you're going, what the, what the obstacle is in front of you, and then, okay, relying on the knowledge that we have and what we've been, what we've been taught, how can we overcome it? Yeah. Reminds me of that OODA loop that, uh, exactly. Or- same, same thing. Yeah. It's, it's it, that's exactly it. I mean, that's, you know, and, and like he said is the pilots are constantly training for that OODA, OODA loop. It's one of the things they do. And, uh, you know, that's, there's a ton of military references out there. I was just at SMRP, you know, uh, earlier this month and yep. was talking to some folks and there were some great presentations about training, you know, programs in some of the industries because of, you know, the boomers retiring and how do we replace them and all those things. And uh, Corey talked about it. And I think Brian might've talked about it too, is the military, we have what we call personal qualification standards, you know, or, or I think Corey called it the, uh, the bib, you know, the bibliography of what they need to do in order to advance. It's well-documented. Those things are out there. And I shared with some of the folks at the conference, a machinist made third class in the Navy. There's a PQS document that says, here's what they need to be able to do. You know, have to be able to line up and operate, you know, a cooling water system, an HVAC system. You need to be able to overhaul and understand a centrifugal pump. And all these things are laid out. And in order to advance, these are the things you have to do. And then, oh, by the way, here are technical references, both civilian and military that you need to understand and places to go look for the information. So it's kind of all laid out and that, that MM3, I shared that MM3 PQS, it's available. You can download it from the internet. The information, a lot of the military standards are there. So you can use those. And I guess that's the other thing I look at is I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If there's a reference out there that I can pull from or something that I can use as a plan going forward, give it to me. Yeah, I love that because what I'm going to transition to now in our discussion today is CMMS, Computerized Maintenance Management Software. And when we have these conversations, I'm not interested in calling out any particular products or companies that provide them because what I'm after most of the time is the process and the two M's in the middle, the maintenance management, because that's what it's really all about. Even if you didn't have a system, you need to apply these things in a quite rigorous manner. You got some, you got some room to move, but it's a tool that allows you to essentially do just that, where if it's being utilized and adopted within an organization and a maintenance team and the top and the bottom and the left and the right, they're all connected. Now you or anybody else that's on that team can go and reference that tool and say, oh, I can see that last year around this time, Hank logged what happened when he did the inspection on this piece of heavy equipment. And now I have some reference point as to how was it done? What was the problem and all those types of things. But there's a huge barrier that happens in a lot of organizations to the adoption and utilization of CMMS platforms. Can you talk to me a little bit about the maintenance mindset and culture and how we really help organizations connect the business and the maintenance activities such that the system's really adopted it, well? It's it's the process. And like you said, it's the adaptability of, of it. So a lot of times, and you know, I'll give you a little more history. I started out with 
a paper CMS system. We didn't call it a CMS system. You know, we, we used to have these things on ship. They were five by seven index cards. They sat in a wooden box and it was our machinery history. And it was by an asset ID number that we used. So you would pull up that machinery history card and you would keep track of, okay, we replaced this piece in part. You would capture all that information. So it was a manual CMS system is basically yeah. what it was. And that's, so we computerize that. Well, part of what you need to do is take that process and make sure that your software is meeting your process. Or if the software doesn't function the same way, you know, and I've worked in organizations where the first thing we'll do is what's your current process? How do we do it in the CMS? What gaps are there? And we do that gap analysis. And if you're not doing that gap, gap analysis and you're not sitting down with your software vendor and figuring out how your new tool is going to fit into your toolbox, you need to do that. Okay. Or else that tool is going to sit in your toolbox and nobody's going to get it out. Yeah. And then the occasion where you're like, oh, I need that tool. You're like looking everywhere for it because you're never touching it and yeah. putting eyes and hands on it. And you pull it out and it's nice and shiny. And how many people have CMSs out there where you got a nice shiny CMS, but there's no data in there. And that's the value that that CMS is adding to the organization is the data that's contained in that CMS. You know, that's yeah, really, then... that's really what it is. The CMS, I tell people, CMS is an empty toolbox. Yeah. yeah. You got to fill it up. So when, when we, when we look at that, so for me, I'm oftentimes reminded of how, cause I was in the industry, sold the system, all this kind of stuff. And it was the same system for like 18 plus years. I call it 20, whatever. The, the thing that I see so often, and it's such a common topic right now is that organizations somehow get a CMMS platform and go through all of that work and the assessments. And maybe they, maybe they leave out the frontline workforce. So they're already, they're already making a mistake there, but they get the system, right? They, they do all the stuff, demos, all these things, they might do trials and then they get the system. And then all of a sudden it's a total face plant. And what I mean by that for everyone is it's a failure because the organization somehow, and I kind of understand how this happens. I just wish it didn't. They feel like that was the work. And then it just sits because it's too difficult to use. We left out those front frontline workers and the different people that are actually going to use it and create and collect this data that we need. And they weren't part of the decision or selection criteria. We didn't know the process and we got this great shiny thing. And they're like, well, that doesn't work the way we work. And then everybody just kind of throws up their hands and then six to 12 to 18 months later, there's some changeover in the team that selected it. Now you got a pile of junk sitting on the shelf when it might not be a pile of junk at all. No, it comes down. A lot of it comes down to the implementation and key factor is involving those frontline people early on. Uh, I was on a project in the Coast Guard where we were taking a really basic computerized maintenance management system that we had, and we we're kind of morphing it into an enterprise asset management solution. Yeah. So me as a maintenance person was involved in the development and implementation of that system. Was it without pitfalls or, you know, or what I call, you know, uh, 
some of those potholes in the road? No, there were plenty of potholes. The thing was is to once we fix the pothole, it's not falling the same one twice. Yeah. Okay, so avoid avoid those mis mistakes we made early on. But rolling that into an enterprise asset management system was a big hurdle and a tough road. But we involved maintenance people. We involved our supply people. You know, the guys that were getting the gals that were getting us the parts and stuff. So it was a like what I like to call a coordinated effort. And Corey, when he was on your show, he was talking about, you know, a team and kind of a team sport and get everybody on a team working for that goal is I like to tell people, think of it like a marching band. And I'll use this analogy a lot is everybody has to be playing the same tune. Okay. In the same key. And you're going out there for that halftime show. The choreography all has to be the same. And everybody goes, you know, if I'm the trombone player, I know at this, at this note, I'm going right, you know, and I'm going to go right for 20 steps and then I'm going left and laying out that plan of, how are we going to, okay, we got the CMLs built, all right? We've got our basic, you know, we have all our asset ID and our hierarchy and all those things set up. Now, how are we going to use it? Okay. I worked with an organization where, you know, they were implementing it. And part of it is getting folks involved. Show them the what's in it for me. Okay. Mm. You know, and that's one of the things, no matter what program project I'm working on, is what is the benefit to that frontline worker? You know, is it going to make your job easier? Okay. Is it going to make you, you know, more knowledgeable on the piece of equipment? Is it going to give you the information to go out and do that job? Because most folks want to do a good job. You know, is it going to help me go out there and be the best professional I can be and produce the best product? Yeah, I think, I think that's another theme that just keeps coming up over and over. And plenty of people might say, well, we've been talking about this for, I don't know, 50 years where, we know the majority of our maintenance teams and even everybody at the company, they really want to do great work. They do. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you put too much of a lift in front of them, they've seen enough to know, damn, that's going to be a really hard lift. If I'm going to use that thing, I got to do five clicks when, if I don't do any of the clicks, I'll be done. Mm -hmm. Say for example, 20 minutes earlier and on to the next thing. And that's what they really want to do. So you kind of got to, you got to really pay closer attention to how everybody's moving. And the, the thing you said about like, wh why should I be doing this? They don't So for me, I would say to, you know, maintenance personnel or anybody else, you don't necessarily come right back and say, well, what's in it for me. You move that a little bit to the background and you say, well, can you show it to me again? And then as you're showing me how we're using this, what is this really doing? not only for me, but also for the team and also for the organization so there that I is. have some opportunities to buy in a little bit because you, I've seen people where they hate a system. I've even been through it myself. Uh, it happened once with, uh, with a CRM and the big boss, the guy that signs the checks, I said, man, this, is, this thing's terrible, man. I don't like it, this and that. And we had the kind of relationship we could speak very freely, right? And, and he said, look, that's what we have. And you got to figure out how to use it. And I said, okay, fair enough. Is it okay if I figure out how to use it in an effective way? And I don't have to hear about you telling me again, oh, we'll start doing it like this, 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 and this. And he says, yeah, just, just use it, document stuff. And I did that. And I didn't like it. I never liked it. But I'll tell you what, 
by the time I saw how somebody else was using it and that was impacting me, I was like, you guys, you got to understand this is how you do it. So this can happen with anything, your CMMS, your process, et cetera, right? Yeah. And you, and you brought up a great point. It's not just what's in it for me, but what's in it for the organization and everybody, you know, all the people we're dealing with is you're competing, you know, and part of the data that you're collecting and those improved processes that you're putting in place are going to make you more competitive as an organization. Right. Okay. So that's some of the value that's being added to, if I can produce a hundred thousand widgets for less than my competitor is okay. I've got a, I've got a competitive advantage. Absolutely. And having that good maintenance history allows me to do that. And from, you know, when I say what's in it for me as a reliable and a reliability engineering role, if I'm looking to a CMS to get data so I can make improvements, if I want, if there are specific data fields that I want to capture and I'm expecting my technicians to check this box or use a pull down and give me some failure codes or whatever, is I need to explain to them and show, not, not just explain, but show them I'm going to use that data that I'm asking them to collect. You know, okay, I've been giving you failure codes and we're still seeing, you know, a year down the road, this same problem with this piece of equipment. And I've been telling you what's wrong with it and what's breaking on it. I haven't seen any initiative to where we're going to fix it or put improved maintenance programs in place or some condition monitoring in place to catch it before it breaks. You know, so why am I, why am I continuing to capture it? So that reminds me of, it's almost the exact thing where you, me, this guy, that gal, that gal, we're all doing the thing, right? And then the people or person or department that required us to do the thing, they're not doing the thing. Right. And they're not using it. And then we start saying, well, what's the point? That's exactly what you're talking about. So I think, um, interestingly enough, you know, one of my, one of my next questions, or it's kind of the same thing, just a different kind of attack on the same question is when we're connecting the, the business to the maintenance operations. I think one of the other challenges, so CMMS can help with this if you're using it right or even using it at all. I mean, plenty of people use it in the wrong way, but maybe you can get in there and figure out, you know, how they can improve that. But when we're, we're doing that, the overall business. So let's say we're talking about a CFO, Mm -hmm. a CFO sees things in a very specific way. That's going to boil down to, you know, the balance sheet, the cost versus right. the gain. Yep. And they, they, it, it's a, it's a big challenge to get them to see a lot of the intangibles because they are actually responsible for the numbers and how they balance this way and that way and this way and that way. And it's really at the end of the day, that's simple, but how then for the maintenance team, the maintenance organization, do they reach that type of an individual? Not good, bad, or indifferent, but just how do they how do they speak to that individual is part of this whole whole thing, right? Like learning how as part of the maintenance team to speak that language and also get them win them over a little bit to see your intangibles. It it, it takes time, and you have you have to learn to speak that language, that dollar, and really that's what it comes down to is the dollar language. Okay. 
you know, Jerry Maguire, you got to show me the money. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I just, that's one of the areas that I have struggled with in my professional life sometimes is being able to communicate that dollar speak well. So when I was at SMRP, I took a half day course on, you know, building, building a business case and communicating with finesse, you know, was, was part of it. And uh, so that's, you gotta, it's like anything else. You need to train to speak that language. And that's a whole nother thing is a lot of times we don't train our, you know, maintenance managers, maintenance supervisors in some of the things that we should be training them in. Yeah. Is, is that because of the disruptive nature? So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tie this to a couple of things. So okay. there's, there's a significant amount of disruption that we all know, whether it's in our awareness or outside of our awareness, that's going to really take us off course for a moment. That moment could be a week. It could be three months. It could be six months to do something properly. And we have so much going on and we're, we're marching along and moving along. That's one of the other contributing factors to why CMMS deployments fail, adoption doesn't take place because we've got so much going on. I mean, that's a really painful thing for a human being or an organization as a whole to stop for a minute and do something right. It, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that I've constantly thought about. Do you, what do you, what do you think of that statement that to do it right, we've got to embrace the pain of that disruption and we're not willing to because it hurts too much well i don't want to call it pain okay, okay. it is it is but again is we need to lay out the plan and look at the benefit of the plan and again it comes down to that cost benefit analysis kind of okay we're going to to put this cms in place is we're going to expend a lot of resources we're going to take I'm going to be taking maintenance people. If I'm doing it right, I'm going to be taking maintenance people. I'm going to be taking supply personnel, you know, all of these people and getting their input. And that's time taking them away from their normal job. It's extra stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'm piling more on you that I need you to do. Now, here's the benefit we expect to get. And it goes back to where you talk about CMSs fail and don't provide that same benefit is we have to get the measures out of that CMS is we need to start looking at it and go, okay, we put the CMS in place. We wanted to start gathering some of this maintenance history. We wanted to start documenting some of the processes, our parts being used, you know, and our, our storeroom turnover and all of those things that a good CMS that's well laid out will do for you. Okay. Yeah. But if you're not getting those measures back out and then taking that data that's in the CMS, measuring it, and turning it into actionable information, okay, and then acting on that information, it's going to fail because people are going to be looking at it and going, okay, we did this, we're providing the data, we're nine months in, you know, and that's short term for seeing the return on investment on that CMS. That's real short term. But what improvements have come out of that nine months that we've made the investment, we built the system, we're using it, where's my wins? So you, you have, have to have them. You, you have, have to have them and you have to, you, the other thing is, is you have to celebrate those wins. You got to go yeah. out there and you got to advertise, Hey, we put this system in place. We've been tracking it. We've been using it. 
you know, we've, we've taken, you know, our inventory turns down because, you know, we improved our maintenance processes because we were getting the data back. And this one problem that was killing us, you know, I like to say biting us in the butt all the time. Mm. Okay. We're fixing it or we have fixed it. And we haven't seen a failure on that piece of equipment that was failing every month in nine months since we put this, since we tracked it, figured out what it was. And now we implemented the change. Interesting. So it's almost as if, and I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just saying, well, if we can celebrate our profitability or, you know, these cost reductions as an organization, and, and we know with like CMMS implementations and some of the behavioral improvements that we see as, as a team, we start mm-hmm. moving in the right direction. Cause that's, that's super cool stuff. Cause it really matters. It, it yeah. shows up on the balance sheet. You just have to know where to look for it in between the lines. But I have seen over my years that maintenance, maintenance operations and all those things that we are celebrating. Sometimes we, we do it in a, a, in a room out in the warehouse or something like that. And it actually needs to change and become something that the entire company has an awareness of because those we've already said that all these people want to do great work and they want to get things done and they want to increase the availability of things and that they're people and we have to tie this whole thing together. So the organization should be celebrating that at least internally, but as an entire company. So that people start to get an awareness. Yeah. 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 And it's just like you, you know, uh, any plant you go into, you're going to see 365 days without a safety incident or or a lost time incident. Okay. You you do your maintenance. Okay. We've had, you know, 325 days of, you know, up, you know, uptime, our scheduled uptime, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be running for, you know, I don't know, 20,000 hours. We've achieved 20,000 hours without a breakdown. Big stuff. Yeah. Big stuff. I mean, so, I think when I think about that, I think about things like company A implements solution B and gets a result of, say, for example, somewhere between 4 and 8% increased production time on their widgets. And we can tie that directly to the fact that maybe they utilize that solution for one thing, and that is scheduled machine downtime to do the preventive maintenance activities that contribute to that increased uptime. And then what that meant is people were getting out of work on time. They didn't have to come in in the evening or on a weekend to get things back on track for a big production run because something happened because we weren't doing it. And all those intangibles come to come to play or come to bear on the health of the business, the wellness of the clients that were expecting and bought those products and all the people that made it happen. It, it, yeah. it really, it's possible. It's and a lot of work, but it's possible. there's things to look at. There's, you know, is people uptime's one thing, you know, and how well your equipment's functioning. But the other thing is, you know, you talk about with, you know, uh, OE and things are the quality. Okay. You may be producing, you know, X number of widgets, but are they meeting your quality standards? Yeah. Right. So what, what do we do to make sure that we're getting the runtime that we want, but also at the quality parameters that we want. So all that ties into it also. And Absolutely. yeah, again is, you know, to me, a lot of it comes down to just setting clear expectations with people, letting them know, 
you know, what, what's required, what your expectation of them is for a daily performance, okay? Uh, you know, we're going to schedule eight hours of maintenance, right? Here's a job that I want you to do for those eight hours of scheduled maintenance. You know, the unplanned maintenance, I tell people, you know, all the time is stuff's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you know, I w was working with some people last week and one person missed a day and a half and, and you know, stu stuff happened, you know priorities took over i gotta go make sure that you know we're not flooding this area of you know the facility so then we got to get it fixed and taken care of um, what it comes back down to is you want to try to stay adhere to the schedule as much as possible but realize that stuff's going to happen but again what we need to do is go back and capture it in the cmms okay Here's what didn't get done that was scheduled to get done because of this unexpected failure. Mm -hmm. All right. Here are the people that we use. Here, here are the parts that we use. Here's the plan that we use to, to correct that, that problem. So that the next time, hopefully there won't be a next time, hopefully we did the right fix and not just a Band-Aid, you know. And even if it was a Band-Aid, okay, you noted that this was a temporary fix in your CMS. And oh, by the way, our next opportunity we need to go back and fix it correctly because, you know, maybe it's just me, but there have been times where I've band-aided something, didn't have, didn't have the right parts, you know, operational requirements, whatever you band-aid it. And then it stays like that for five years until it fails again or whatever. And, oh, gee, who did that? Why did they do that? Why did they put that? Why did they make that stupid fix, you know, instead well, of fixing it right? Right. True. But, that five years, that five years was money in the bank. Oh yeah. yeah. So a lot of a lot of ways to slice it, man. This this has been brilliant. So I want to kind of switch it up to a couple of fun questions. Okay. Before I get you about your day, and and again, just love these insights. I mean, they're very helpful, and a lot of times we're calling out what is it's kind of obvious, but it's certainly not obvious to everyone. So I think it's really important to talk about this stuff. So the fun questions. Number one, what is your favorite music? Uh, I like all kinds of music, actually, but probably what I listen to most is both country and Western and then bluegrass. Is, all right. uh, I live in the northwest corner of Virginia, and there's a fair amount of bluegrass music up here. So uh, any opportunity I get to go hear some live bluegrass music, I will try to do it. So Love that. Love that. Look at that. Next one. What is your favorite sport or hobby? And it can be that you, you watch it and you like to follow it, or you like to actually do that and participate in that as an activity. Well, the favorite sport to watch is really high school and college wrestling. Uh, I right. really like, uh, I, I'm a big fan of college wrestling. So, you know, and the big 10. So that's a, you know, big 10 wrestling fan. Uh, Hobbies is, you know, I've got, a, I've got some woods around me here and uh, I, I like to one, get out in the woods, but I have a little uh, chainsaw mill and I try to uh, slab some wood and make some different stuff out of the wood I slab. So that's my, uh, that's my hobby. So that, That's interesting because um, I'm not into it, but I, I tried to, I had to have a tree removed and I tried to get the guys to slab some wood and you know, it was pretty rough. And I'm looking at it now because I wanted to make something cool out of it. And that's a, that's a process. So that's a really interesting one that I haven't heard somebody talk about. And then 
the last one on the the three fun questions, sometimes it's four or five, but on this one, and there's no right or wrong answer. What is your perspective or thoughts or how you achieve work life balance? Uh, that's, that's, that's a tough one because when I was in the Coast Guard, the standing joke was I had, I had, I have work and I have a life and my life is my work. So it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's, we, you sacrifice a lot being in the military to do the job. Uh, so striking a work-life balance back then was a little bit difficult. Uh, now is what I do with a work-life balance is I try, I try to measure it. You know, I don't want to be, I've, I've worked jobs where I was on the road for, you know, seven months out of the year, you know, and, you know, told my boss that I haven't, I haven't cut my grass at home once this summer, you know, and it's time for a little bit of a change. So trying to mix it up with that. But the other thing is just like I did, I communicated to my boss and said, Hey, you know, it's killing me. I said, I need, I need to spend a little bit more time at home and we adjusted the work schedule and, you know, some things like that. So it's, uh, now that I'm on my own bosses, I can, I can kind of do that when I want. So, but, uh, that I pay a price for that too. And, you know, being able to provide for your family, you still need to be able to do that. So, uh, is you got to strike that balance and an argument I'll, I'll hear a lot of times at, at plants or places is, you know, when we talk about plan and scheduled maintenance, is you don't understand, you know, that overtime, that unplanned maintenance, that, you know, that two o'clock or staying an extra, you know, two hours after my shift is over to fix this, that's money in the bank. Okay. And I'll go back to my personal experiences how many of my kids' football games or, you know, wrestling matches or whatever did I miss because I was more worried about money in the bank and those things are never going to happen again. You know, how many, how many, how many choral recitals, you know, or play school plays, you know, so that's kind of, it's one of the things that I try to use to get people to focus on the planning and the scheduling part, even though it's going to disrupt your overtime and, and maybe cut into your paycheck is, you know, what's that, what's that work-life balance worth? Yeah. That's, that's why I said interesting. Cause I, I, I could, I could see the wheels turning and I was thinking, I wonder if he's going there. And then you did. And I, it actually gave me a little bit of an idea for a little bit of a shameless plug, not for me uh, or you, but there's someone that uh, I've connected with this year. His name's Rob Kalvarowski. Yep. And he's got actually a very extensive background in, um, maintenance and reliability, a lot with heavy equipment, mining and all these things, you know, obviously, you know, I've listened to his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got this, this, uh, this cool program and it's called how to deal with an a-hole boss and, uh, for CMMS radio and for listeners and anybody that follows along. And some of it's on, you know, like LinkedIn and all that. He gave us a discount code for people that might be dealing with a bad boss because bad bosses, are not bad people. They just might need to work on a few things with regards to their leadership. So the people that work with bad bosses, you know, need some help with that. So you can go to how to deal boss and find that program. And when you go to buy it, there's a coupon code CMMS radio, you get 50 bucks off. So I just wanted to throw that in there because boss, great boss, you were talking, what's that? He has great content. Absolutely. And he, he knows what he's talking about from a lot of different perspectives and he's really been doing 
this great work with people. But the boss you were talking about when you're talking about cutting the lawn over this, you know, six, seven, eight month period, you haven't cut your lawn this year. I almost got the sense that maybe that boss said, oh, man, take a couple of weeks off or something like that. Good boss paying attention, trying to meet you where you are because you're doing all this hard work. So I just wanted to throw that plug in there. But now that we're wrapping up this episode, you know, and I, I hope we can do this again someday. As far as people getting in touch with you, I was thinking that, you know, one, they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll put something up on the episode around that, but uh, definitely find Hank on LinkedIn. And you also could visit guardiantech.org so that you can learn everything about Guardian Technical Services, LLC. Are those two good ways for people to get in touch with you? Anything I left out? Nope. That's good ways to get in touch or email me. The email connections on the website. Now I have a, I'm going to turn the page on you though. All right. I got a question for you and it's something that uh, I get frequently and I always look, try to look for a good answer. So what's the difference between a CMS and an EAM? My, First response to that, I think about it often because over the years, they've got a lot of crossover and I think it's okay that they have all that crossover and confusion, but I think it's the sophistication of the organization's maintenance and operations, maintenance and reliability programs that dictates whether you're going to use a CMMS versus an EAM. And I think the real difference is complexity and level of detail. I like it. Great question. I, I, pl- I plugged it into chat GPT and you basically kind of hit it is, you know, is, is the CMS is deal more with them. It focuses on the maintenance management part of it. Whereas the EAM focuses on the enterprise solution of it and looking across the whole organization, or if you have multiple sites, bringing all that multi-site information back together. Yeah. And what, what confuses a lot of people out there. So this is like, like in the big, big, big scheme of things. And everybody's like, well, what are you doing on CMMS radio? I said, well, I'm doing something that you're not supposed to do. I want to talk to multiple people on multiple sides of this overall equation. So it has a lot less focus than you might think. I want to talk to end users so that they can make better sense of, well, do I need an EAM or do I need a CMMS? And I want to talk to people like you, consultants with all this just immense experience and a viewpoint as to when, how, and why you should use one versus the other, or maybe both. And then I want to talk to the vendors out there. So any vendors that are listening, the account executives, business development uh, people, uh, solution consultants, and all that kind of stuff, Keep working on understanding your client and what they're dealing with and what they're facing out there, not just with selecting a solution. In other words, get away from selling your software and get your ass focused on solving the problem. And then you sell a ton of software because you're spending your time with people that have the exact problem. So I want to, I want to handle all that. And that's going to take time. That's going to take, you know, probably a couple more years to really, really bring everybody into this. You know, the big buzzword is asset management. A lot of people are, you know, is, is that's where the focus is. And to yeah. me is, I'm going to give you Hank's keep it simple, you know, definition of asset management. It's knowing what I got, knowing where it is, 
knowing what condition it is, and know what I need to maintain it, okay, and keep it operating for the life cycle that I plan for it. To me, that's 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 it. To me, that's asset and management in a nutshell. Now, all the data, the different data elements that I want to capture and stuff, that's all part of it, and it's in the background, and I need to find all that stuff. But to me, is what's important to me. You know, what data do I need to capture? But knowing what you got, where it's at, what condition it's in, and what you need to take care of it. And when I look at maintenance, it's not just the maintenance part of it. It's one of the things that some people don't focus on that we kind of talked about earlier is what's the training part of it? What do my technicians know to be need to know to be able to keep it up and running and meeting the requirements that we have? Absolutely. So. Hank. Thank you for being on CMMS Radio. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Again, Greg, look forward to it. Hopefully we talk again, man, and love what you're doing for the industry. Uh, I, I'm really happy about, uh, you know, having you on, having you out there uh, getting people's insight. Appreciate had, it, man. You got some great contributors also, so. Appreciate it. Well, you're one of them now. No, they, <laughs> I love thanks, that. Thanks, thanks. And like you can see, I got Ramesh's book back here and, and a bunch of other people, so, uh, you know. I love getting information out there and also gleaning the information from the interviews you do. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right, great. Have a good one. Did you find this episode helpful? Please send us some feedback, suggest a topic, or ask a question. Reach out to CMMS Radio if you need a co-pilot on your CMMS project. Visit cmmsradio.com and use the What's On Your Mind link. Thank you for tuning in to CMMS Radio, your resource for all things CMMS from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey.